Hi, and welcome everyone to the 95th episode of CM Rocks. This is Marcus Allanson, and today's podcast will be about building a center of excellence. And with me today, I have Mark Swift from Cloverbase. Is that correct, Mark? Cloverbase. Well, Cloverbase is kind of like my 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 legal entity to bill people, you know, as in as in if I if I'm doing work for for customers, but it's not really a business per se, in that I I don't go out and uh, seek out customers and build projects and things like that anymore. It's it's more of a holding company. Um, most people know me, of course, more by NZ three six five guy, which is uh, my my main website. Yeah. So welcome, Mark Smith. So what is it that you do then? So what do I do? Well, the last six months I've spent building my home. So when uh, COVID hit in or, or you know, had us uh, go into lockdown around, was it March this year? I, I went into lockdown, but I was I was living in, right in the center of Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand. And that was after moving back last November from uh, London moved home. And what happened is that when indicated, you know, our government said they're going to lock everybody down for a month and that nobody could leave their home. Um, Nobody was allowed to go to work, school or anything like that. I was, I said to my wife, man, why don't we, why don't we get out of town and go, go, we had land, you know, two and a half hours north of Auckland on the coast. And so we went and went up there and I just had a barn built and I spent lockdown, you know, fitting it out. So that meant you know, putting in everything from toilets, bathrooms, kitchens, rooms. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the last six months. I've not really been doing a lot of work, although in saying that I've just, you know, kicked off a couple of brand new projects with Microsoft in Seattle, where I'm working for them at the moment. And um, and I coach uh, individuals. So I do a lot of career coaching nowadays, as well as um, uh, some business coaching. So particularly organizations that want to grow you know, um, practices around business applications, whether they be, you know, just focused on the power apps or the dynamics side of things. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of what I do. Um, and of course, you know, I'm always podcasting myself and, and, uh, yeah, but that's me. That's me. And we're customers all the time. What's your last memorable customer experience as a customer? Mm, as a customer, you know what? I've 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 recently had a contractor in that did a, a a range of earthworks for me, and you know this guy, um, you know blew me away in that you know by trade he's an engineer, uh, his name's Russell, and, but he was very artistic in what he did, and but one of the things you know every now and again he would make a mistake and he was always really quick to tell me that he had made a mistake like he would come and find me if i wasn't there he would call me and say listen I did x y z wrong or broke this or something like that and i really like that level of transparency and oftentimes you know i've dealt with companies that try to cover up and even you know when they make a mistake like they or or they downplay it or even you know uh, you know we're, we're both in it backgrounds is that in IT, often if you ever called support desk in an organization, the folks in IT would always make it look like you were dumb. In other words, you'd say, hey, my computer, I did this, and they they get you to repeat the process, and they see, ah, service or something has stopped, you know, on the network. And so they would start it again, go, oh, can you just refresh that or whatever? And of course, it works, and then you you feel like an idiot calling them, yeah. right? 
because they've made you look stupid. And, of course, behind the scenes, they're chuckling away knowing that they're not going to reveal to you that actually something was wrong, but you feel like a knob. And, um, And so I find a lot of companies still operate in that way of doing business. And so when when you get, you know, companies and individuals in business that are really upfront and honest, even, you know, where it's to their own detriment in a way, I love that. Yeah, and it feels really honest. And, I mean, a problem usually doesn't go away either in our business or especially in the construction business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's always better to go for it faster to tell just and straight up just something happened Mm, mm, mm. but if i'm starting a power platform and i made a couple of apps and i've had some success just building the first couple of apps is there really a next step that's logical for you if i'm just starting out here then Mm. So, so that's an interesting um, question, and of course, it gets us up uh, onto the topic of of something that Microsoft's CAT team has has been working on for some time, which is a center of excellence. And, and CAT, that stands for. Uh, CAT stands for Customer Advisory Team, as, as far as I remember correctly. And so, this is a specialist team within the Power Platform Engineering Team, and their role is to really help you know high profile customers that microsoft want to ensure they get a successful outcome with uh the power platform or the suite of microsoft business applications but particularly the power platform so like if you go and take a look at um if you did a search for the microsoft power platform center of excellence or the coe they've got a, a whole starter kit which includes you know apps to download and and really put a governance layer inside an organization and they've got they've got teams of people working on this um all the time as an improving um this the starter kit and you know in in my experience of even running uh, you know practices in this space i my practice in australia internally was known as the center of excellence and where you're, you know, you're constantly wanting to standardize the way things are done and doing and produce better outcomes than perhaps you did the year before. So, you know, constant improvement, um, you know, a Japanese word called Kaizen is this, this idea of constant improvement is that you should always be improving on where you are um, and getting better at what you do. And, and what Microsoft are providing with the Power Platform Center of Excellence is a a framework, a set of tools and and insights that really allow companies to adopt the power platform. And and really it is a platform story in that it's, you know, you talked about a company might start and and somebody in that company, generally a non-technologist, has 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 discovered, you know, um power apps. And, you know, they might have been working with SharePoint lists or something like that. And they've seen an icon that says, why don't you build an app with that? And and they've kicked off and they've built a power app. And, of course, this is not something that's new. You know, companies for years, individuals, you know, when I was early in my career, we had in our business people that were gurus on Excel or access databases, right? They would, the, you know, I remember working for a period of my career for a bank. Um, I worked for a bank for 18 months. And, you know, we had, a, you know, a back-end banking system 
But all the loan calculations and original, you know, whether we're going to provide a loan to a customer was always done in Excel, a very sophisticated Excel spreadsheet that was updated every 24 hours ago and would allow us to drive the kind of outcomes with our, with our customers or, or decide whether we're going to approve a particular, uh, a particular loan or not or a refinance deal on a, on a home mortgage type scenario. And so really the modern equivalent of that, of course, is power apps. And uh, one of the drawbacks that that old technology had was often around governance. How do you control who sees it? You know, it's very easy for somebody to take the spreadsheet and, and potentially share it with a competing bank because there was no control around, you know, the portability of that particular um, uh, application. Where nowadays, companies know that they want to control, one, what, what's happening, is there a risk of data leakage? And they really want to understand where and who is interacting with their um with the application with an organization, and particularly what happens when the builder of the app leaves the organization? In other words, who maintains it? Who looks after it? And this is this, these are some of the questions that the um, the center of excellence um, for the power platform um, that starter kit hopes to address with an organization so that an organization can get to the point that they can build applications, multiple applications over time in a a fully governed and non-data linking way and and move, you know, what's often a very manual processes into a digital um, ecosystem. All right. So let's start from the beginning then. I go to this center of excellence. Mm-hmm. Then I download and install this kit. Yes. So, but the Power Platform is a service, right? But this is something that you download and install. It's It sounds a bit counterintuitive, but that's how we do it, right? Yeah, so the thing is, it is a range of apps in its own right, as in the center of excellence, which particularly around, you know, there's four key modalities that the, the kit addresses, which is defining the goals and expectations, you know, of your center of excellence, making sure that an admin infrastructure is put in place, you know, so that administrators can gain the insights they need around the Power Platform adoption or who is building apps inside the organization. You know, one of the companies I joined some years ago, there was around eighteen to 1,900 staff within the business. And they had Office 365 in that organization. And IT would often disable many, many, many of the features that were provided in that organization purely because they didn't understand them and they're afraid that people would start building things on them that they had no control of. So, you know, you've seen Microsoft in the Power Platform space make it, it you know, provide the ability for anyone to build apps, you know, within the organization. Well, straight away, anybody in IT administration want to control, you know, who's doing what on the network. Are they, you know, using more resources that now the company has to pay for? Is there a risk that one of the biggest ones? is leakage of data, both internal and external to an organization. I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody built a power app that used a connection to Twitter, but also connected to uh, through an API to an internal data set. You know, the, that company wouldn't want somebody having the ability through an app to tweet out information containing internal data, right, or confidential data or client data or anything that would put them in legal risk and or, you know, the risk of leaking IP. So the whole idea here is that with this range of tools, it really allows 
administrators can deeply see what's going on in their organization. Um, they can light up or turn on or turn off um, any of the tools. You know, think of the starter kit. It's not just tools, but it's a bit of a best practice. It's um, So there's documentation in there around best practice, but it also does provide, you know, tools around dashboards, apps, flows, particularly a range of flows that allow you to monitor how the apps are being used inside your organization. But that is also available in the admin center of admin.powerplatform.microsoft.com, right? There you have some insights as well on what are the environments yeah. that you have and what who are creating environments new. So is this extending that or this is Power BI built on that data then? So you have even more comprised data of morph sources then? Mm. So, so it is, it is an extension of it because, so for example, let's say that within a corporate environment, you didn't want uh, people creating apps that potentially going to be used by other staff that were off brand of the organization, right? So then in other words, their headers, their colors, that type of thing. Let's say you wanted to make sure that they followed guidelines around being inclusive. In other words, the screen um, contrast, for example, was in line with the company's guidelines around, you know, being usable by everybody. Well, some of the tools in the the starter kit there provide you that ability to theme out how apps should work, to to give starter templates for building apps, um, training resources. You know, where can somebody go and learn how to develop their skills in app building? So it's not just a tool set for admins, but it is part of it. And so it allows that level of governance, but also it's around building something much bigger than that, which is you know, um, what I like, uh, I've heard this phrase called, a, a, you know, creating a digital culture within an organization. How do you get an, and how do you develop staff to a point where, you know, I'm not saying everybody becomes app makers, but is there the potential that everybody in an organization could contribute in some way to the building of apps? And so really speaking to this whole area of citizen development. Yeah, and I like the term power uses because that's been around for longer than this power platform, this power, everything was is power nowadays. But it's always been power users for me, these super users, if you will, yeah. that sort of are those that built those Excel that didn't want to do the calculations by hand. Mm -hmm. So they built Excel that now the company runs on and let's use those, right? So yeah. empower okay. these to do even more and with this admin views to mm, mm, look mm. into this. Yeah. And, and, and the admin piece really, you know, it's only one part of the, of the equation here and it gives kind of that, that peace of mind for administrators to know what's going on because no IT admin like to be in the dark. You know, I don't know if you've heard the term of shadow IT where, yeah. you know, there's, there's, uh, there's the rules of the company and then there's what people do. And you know, yeah, how many access database do you have running around? Exactly, Who knows? exactly. <laughs> and, and, and this whole area of citizen development is something that, you know, we absolutely want to encourage because uh, it creates an efficiency that can't be, you know, realized any other way. And I'll give you an example. I worked early in my career in the medical industry, and I would go on behalf of the government and sign off on, on biological 
containment processes. So, um, you know, if you've ever seen the biohazard symbol, it means, you know, and even in the times that we live in right now, it's kind of, I'm glad I'm not in that industry anymore because, you know, something like COVID um, is a biological um, risk. And so I would work with medical equipment that contained um, biological um, waste. matter, matter, waste, anything, yeah. you know, so let's say, for example, in these labs, there will be staff working on the specimens, analyzing them. They will be using what's called a biohazard cabinet, which protects them from being exposed to whatever they're working on. So yeah. as they analyze it in their Petri dishes and goes through the various process that they do in a lab. So I used to certify these. And when I started in my career in doing it, I had an A4 sheet of paper. And on that A4 sheet of paper was... I had to go through and mark down the model, the serial number, the make of the equipment. And, you know, it would be on a clipboard and then I would go through and I would use a, a, a meter, an airflow meter, and I'd monitor the airflow patterns at, I don't know, 36 locations within this device that were very precise to create what was called a laminar airflow. And then I would go through and I'd use a smoke machine with a particulate counter on one side, and it was designed to make sure, was there an air barrier that the person working with the biological you know, um, material, yeah. there's no risk of them breathing it in or, or becoming contaminated themselves. And, th and there was a range, and so I'd work my way through the sheet of paper, and then I'd have to run all these calculations and work out averages and stuff, and so I'd out with my calculator, and I would do those. And I'd flip over the sheet, and there would be a whole bunch of, you know, testing of the electronics of the equipment, blah, 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 all the way through, and there'd be particulate measuring, so, you know, how clean was the air, so there was no contaminate, uh, contamination coming even from outside the equipment. So I'd go through all these checks and then work out the calculations, and finally, at the last was I either passed it or failed it. And if it was failed, I had to write an explanation of why it failed with a, with a, you know, how remedial action could be taken or do a total condemning of the device, which means it had to be um, disposed of in a contained manner. And so uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, back in that day, one of the viruses that were out there was called CJD. And it was um, uh, a, a virus that, um, it became quite big in England at the time, and it affected the brain. And um, it was really you couldn't kill it using traditional sterilization techniques, which often was a process of using formalin or heat sterilization. It could live on or it could survive through that. And the problem is, it came from eating meat. You know, it, it was transferred in cow's meat, and so people, you know, eating this meat could have picked it up. And I remember I was in one facility. And they had used one of these cabinets that they tested a patient, you know, that they believed had this virus at the time. And the cabinet had to be condemned because there was no way of, you know, moving forward from that point. And so I had to do this right up. So long story short, I quickly worked out we could do that process on an Excel spreadsheet where all the calculations based on a set of rules would automatically be calculated and work out. So all I had to do was enter into a computer screen the fields as I took the measurements. And of course, as we progressed further, we were able to use um, back then the RS-232 report out of a lot of our devices. And then we started auto-populating that Excel spreadsheet. Now, nowadays, that, I mean, that, that process took months and months and it required to learn a heck of a lot of formulas and stuff and even, you know, um, 
Visual Basics back then to actually make it do the magic we needed to do. Nowadays, you would build that all in a power app in a very short amount of time. Yeah. You know, and that's one example. There's so many companies out there that the people that do their day-to-day job know better than anybody how to how they could improve it, right? I knew how to improve it because I saw what was wasting my time, you know, device after device where I was doing this repeated, mundane, the same thing, just different device or different pieces of equipment. And there's so many people that live in jobs, you know, day-to-day that are forms-based. So they have forms where they're they're entering data into, uh, sorry, they're, they're writing data onto a paper form that might be taken back to the office Somebody then keys that data into a system that then spits out the results, right? And it can be long and it is prone to error. And often these people don't come from a developer background, so they can't think of how they could build it. But when they see, (coughs) excuse me, the simplicity of Power Apps and how they can lay out their pages, collect their data, and of course, that then can be popped straight into a database that's consumable by anybody in the organization. It really starts to change how that individual thinks about their role. And I, and I, I have an interesting, you know, I've had discussions with people around how long a person stays a, a citizen developer before they really become a, uh, a very, what you said, a power user, right? Somebody that's strong in the technology. And I reckon it's about three months that, you know, if you get your head down into Power Apps and Power Automate, that it's not long before you're no longer just a, you know, a subject matter expert in your job, but you really start to become that power user and power, um, a, you know, uh, developer um, on the power platform. Yeah, and also that that now that you have these admin pages, you can really look into and found find all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so. If I'm from an organization trying to, okay, so where are the admin pages listed? Is it just the center of excellence or that's that? And then there's the admin.power platform. Is there more to that or where are they? So, so they would be within power apps within the, within your tenant or your instance. Um, they can be deployed in there. So therefore, everything from, you know, Power BI dashboards that can be plugged into data sets to Active Directory and how it interfaces with that to understand your users um, inside the organization. But keep in mind, the, the actual app piece and the monitoring is only one small element. You know, you also have the admin center in Power Apps um, where you can do a lot of that monitoring. The, the center of excellence, that starter kit is much more than that. It's a lot about how do you... Um, and I don't know there's a, there's a, if you've seen the document. Microsoft released a document a couple of months ago. It's a 64-page document, and it's called The Creator's Manual, um, The Inventor's Guide to Low Code. And this here, this document really speaks to developing a center of excellence within your organization. What do I mean? Is that once a company, you know, decides there's something here with the Power Platform, there's there's many apps, and I don't know if you've spoken to some of the people from, you know, uh, uh, Pepsi or uh, even Coca-Cola now. There's a range of these very large companies uh, that have adopted the Power Platform, and they're now building 
hundreds of apps. You know, I had an interview with uh, somebody from a medical company and they had over 300 apps that their folks within the organization had developed. Now, to get to that point, right, you've got to start changing the culture of an organization to think about digital and digital first. And that's where the, the Center of Excellence kit goes into a lot of that part of the equation as well. In other words, who are the people that need to be identified inside an organization? You know, who are the people that are that are innovatives, that are subject matter experts? How do you draw them into the equation of building apps? And, you know, some of the ways you can do that, are you can, you know, run events like Lunch and Learns, which kind of work very well in the non-COVID world. But of course, those would be now online where, you know, just over a lunch hour, everyone brings their lunch and you go through and discuss perhaps how you could create your first app. You have app showcases as, as another one of the tools there that they, that's covered, which is around every time a new app comes out, you find a large audience within the organization that has that, you know, maybe cross department that that app can be shown to. And because you know what, that app might spark the idea for their division or their part of the business on how they could create an app. And then another common one is hackathons. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's been a lot of hackathons in the last few years that have, that have encouraged kind of teams to get together and, and hack out solutions for often charities and things like that. But a lot of companies are running internal hackathons, you know, where they might spend a 24-hour period and they divide internal teams and they create and or hack out a potential minimum viable product. And they might use all the Power Platform tool set to do that. And so when you think of the COE starter kit, think of it as much more than just, um, you know, some software that, you know, and some, and some flows, you know, using Power Automate and, and some apps that allow administrators to see what's going on. And there's a lot around governance. How do you, to, you know, put the, that governance in place? How do you manage an app once it's been used by a lot of people? You know, in a situation where, let's say, you've built an app and now 50 people in the organization are using it, and all of a sudden that app that was kind of solving a business problem now becomes mission critical. How do you support it? How do you make sure that your support desk within your side of the organization knows how to support it, knows how to fix it, maintain the the code base, if you like, that's there, and be able to, you know, in a application lifecycle management process like ALM, make sure that that app gets updated, you know, feature enhanced, that it stays secure, things like that as it moves through its lifecycle with an organization. And there are a couple of connectors on the Power Platform as well for admins, right? So mm-hmm. you have the Power Platform for admins and then the Power Apps for admins where you can see, okay, did someone create a new environment? Did someone create a new app? And all of that. So you can sort of automate things from the admin side as well using the Power Platform. Correct. So let's say somebody creates a new app and IT doesn't know about that. That somebody, you know, in their lunch break, for example, let's start working on a new app. Well, you know, through uh, a flow uh, in that environment, the admins can be notified that this app has been created. Who's created it? What does it do? Is it What APIs is it using? And it might, you know, automatically send that individual an email and said, hey, awesome. You're starting to use the Power Platform. Um, let us know if we can help you anyway. Here's some of our internal guides that we recommend you read. In fact, 
here's a list of training that you could do, or here's some videos that you could watch. And so they can really start encouraging that talent within the organization. Yeah, and that goes to that nurture part that you were talking about earlier, right? That we want mm -hmm. to accelerate those that are already curious about it and sort of feed them to sort of, okay, this is how you go faster, this is how you go smarter, and yeah. help those. So this is the common traps. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. We've exactly. made them before. Yeah. So you don't have to feel the pain as hard. Exactly, exactly. But then there's also the scenario where admin or IT provide, let's say they provide a, they, they custom build an API to a specific data set in that organization. So then they can start going to, you know, as people are building things, go, listen, if you need to get to that data set, here's our API for it. Like, and, and they can publish that and make it consumable by people inside the organization to get access to data in, in perhaps systems that are not, do not lend themselves to having APIs into the Power Platform by default. So it does. Or it might does, just be on premise and not reachable from the cloud. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 100% right. Cool. Okay. So, and, and their self service license on the Power Platform, that's still a thing, right? So there's no wow. real way to like just enforce people not to use it because if they have the money and the budget, they can simply just purchase the licenses themselves, right? Yeah, but there are controls. You know, the the biggest control system an, a, a company has is AAD, right? Azure yeah. Active Directory. Um, and and the reason is, is that because your company email address, because, you know, a lot of people are going, hey, I could just use my credit card. I've got a company credit card. I could just go in and produce an app. Well, yeah, you could. But, you know, if there's a, through Active Directory, if there's a block about you creating a new tenant on the company's domain name, which is, you know, how ultimately that Active Directory is linked back to your email address, which is part of your authentication, you could block any, you know, um, any domain names that weren't part of your um, your company. So in other words, you know, if someone tried to set that up under Gmail, or as an example, as a company, you could block that. And so therefore, it's not as just as, you know, because I think that's a, some of the scaremongering that people have put out there and said, oh, you know, this is crazy. It just allows anyone to go out and buy stuff, you know, buy licenses and build stuff um, within the company. Well, not really, because your active directory controls whether you, and of course, that's the area that IT do, you know, have governance over, whether somebody can just go out and build something and um, on, on the corporate infrastructure. You can do whatever you want on your private infrastructure, but, uh, you know, by default, you know, most organizations wouldn't allow access through APIs to the corporate infrastructure from the public. And that also helps with security, Azure Active Directory, right? So mm -hmm. most of the apps are secured by default. Would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah. As an, you know, particularly an organization that is running good governance that are using, you know, uh, or preventing uh, leakage, uh, and I forget the term, it's part of Office 365 or Microsoft 365, is uh, a DLP, data loss prevention. That's the term I'm looking for. You know, if, if those policies are in place, someone can't circumvent them just by putting their credit card in and buying a license to something of Microsoft. 
you know, to bypass those. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's also combines what you said earlier about the connectors that you can combine. So if you have someone, let's say Dropbox, then you're not allowed to combine that with dynamics. We don't want that. Yeah. You have one drive. That's what we use here. Or yeah. you can good go vice versa. We use Dropbox, but not OneDrive. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You've you've got as an as an administrator that type of controls. Those type of controls are there. Sometimes it just needs, you know, you know. Here's here's the thing I've found. Sometimes IT, and when I say IT, I'm talking about those people that that control the, or the governance of your your company network. They they're so busy. Um that they don't have time to learn all this new stuff. So sometimes that is shuttered off. But really, that's probably not an environment you want a company to be in if they're if they're forward thinking, if they're looking at, you know, improving on technologies. It it really comes down to a lot of, you know, what is the culture of that organization? Is there an appetite for digital transformation? Or is there a, you know, don't add something new because if it breaks, we have to fix it. And like, I've been in a company like that, that, as I say, they switched everything off because if we turn it on, then you could raise a support ticket and then we have to do something about it and then we have to learn it. And, you know, there's some folks in IT that, that that's not the appetite that they want, right? They don't want to touch the new stuff. And if you automate it, it might be a troublesome really fast because you just automated your your errors. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. I mean, and that even goes right back to, you know, my early days in dynamics. I would, you know, there'd be companies that go, let's automate everything. And they would be like, well, do you realize if you automate a mistake, <laughs> you could end up with a catastrophe. Um, and so like, let, let's go for automation incrementally, you know, what's tried and tested and then develop, you know, the cutting edge stuff slowly, just so we don't get, you know, bitten in the butt if something goes wrong. And do you feel it's important to sort of pave the way forward also so you have a really narrow lane? Because I think that can be troublesome sometimes because then it's really hard to make exceptions work. Um, totally. You, uh, about that? you know, it's it's like art, right? Is that the more rules that you impose, the more constraint or style of art you're going to get because it's now based on rules. And so, you know, there is a, a a line to be walked, you know, depending on the size of the organization, its appetite. Um, they will want a very, you know, as you say, a thin lane that people can can skate down. But then there are others that where they are wanting to drive innovation, they're going to have maybe less rules, still going to protect their data, not necessarily going to let that leak, but they might be much broader in their application of who can do what within the organization. They might provide, you know, environments as, you know, you know, sandpits or playpens for people to go crazy and do whatever. And then once that's approved, it gets migrated over to the corporate infrastructure. You know, you're not going to get like a military agency, you know, creating a wide yeah. lane for staff <laughs> to build stuff, right? Because there's the risk profile is too high. And often that's is the case with a lot of government agencies. But it's kind of like, you know, there's so many factors come into whether you would provide unmetted access or, or control who can do what. So when is this starter kit a real power platform application that everyone has on their power platform done? Well, not everybody wants it, right? Because once again, it's, it's sizing and scaling. I find the... Um, 
the starter kit is really designed, you know, when I, the way I look at it and like, I'm not the creator of it. You know, I know a bunch of people that are working on it and stuff within Microsoft, but the, the, I feel it's for much larger organizations, right? Where you can't, you don't know all the people in the organization. And so I would say an SMB type organization might not necessarily, but, you know, we can't be, make a general statement there that it would apply to. But any kind of organization that has, you know, a larger staff and the potential for people to build stuff that you don't know within the administrative part of the organization, I think that the, the starter kit is, is a good point to start at. Not only that, just go in there to, you know, there's there's lots of learnings and stuff that can be achieved with the tool set there and even building best practice, your own tools, no matter what size organization you have. So I wouldn't say that it's size for a specific size, even though if you apply everything, I feel it's for a large organization. I do feel it applies for everybody. And and as I say, there's, there's resources around like app in a day, flow in a day, all these things that, you know, as part of the, of part of building a center of excellence in your organization, you'd want your internal staff to get trained up on those and ultimately going through to maybe certifications, you know, as the collective intelligence across the organization in app building grows, you know, there's an appetite to learn more and do more and then, you know, provide more sophisticated uh, apps as part of that. And I mean, the community around Power Platform is huge. Most of the stuff out there, like App in a Day, Flow in a Day, are basically free if you can spend the time to go there. Uh, I'm not sure how they do nowadays. Are they all virtualized, these App in a Day, Flow yeah. in a Day? Yeah, yeah. All the ones that I know of um, are all become virtual, so you can, you know... Yeah. Uh, join them, do them all online, do them remotely. Um, it, it's interesting because you talk about this large community and, and there was a one of my friends the other day um, mentioned that I think it was on LinkedIn, there's something like over 4,000 job opportunities in Power Apps at the moment, as in job openings around the world. Might have been around 4,500. That's a phenomenal number. Like this is the crazy thing. Like three years ago, we hadn't heard of the power platform. And now you've got this massive industry and opportunity growing the space. And and what I love about it, you know, people from all walks and backgrounds. And I was just, I was just recording a podcast about half an hour ago before I jumped on with you. Yeah. And, and, and it was with, with somebody that was a hairdresser uh, that has now, you know, is, is fully in the Microsoft biz app space. And she started as a hairdresser and then decided that wasn't for her so much anymore. And then moved in, um, and, 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 you know, slowly moved over if you like to become a technologist. And that's what I think we're seeing a lot of individuals that wouldn't consider themselves technologists really becoming that, um, in a short amount of time, because there is so much training and resources available out there. Uh, that is just really nice to hear. I mean, that's the love stories that everyone wants to hear, right? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's nice. But but we talked a little bit about the apps that, I mean, people come and go everywhere, and sometimes they own app and then they just they leave, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. then the apps get sort of orphaned, and 
do we have things to discover that and mitigate that? Yeah, so so some of the tooling in that starter kit is around making sure that once an app has been identified, that you know there are other owners and there is a way to move that from being a kind of an individual skunk work project into become part of the corporate IT infrastructure. In other words, the app now, as I, you know, I talked about, it's all of a sudden 30, 40 people are starting using it. You don't want the risk of that being orphaned. In other words, you don't want the risk of somebody leaving the organization and that's fully associated to them. Um, so part of that governance model would be making sure that it was brought under the perhaps the admin uh, the IT governance would, you know, take over that app. The individual might still be able to work on it. You would start putting an ALM process in, you know, and and manage the life cycle of that app. Now, there's no risk of somebody leaving if that app had been moved into an ALM cycle. Yeah, and perhaps it's just a, a good recommendation. Yeah, have two owners, and that means yeah. that they're also sharing that knowledge about it because even though IT has ownership of it. Perhaps they're not actively working on it. So if mm-hmm. the other one leaves, they don't really know, okay, what was the business value of this again? How did we change it? I mean, that could take a lot of time. So if you are actually two owners, just those listed owners, yeah, then that's really helpful because then you always have one that could sort of educate the next one. Mm-mm. But I mean, you know, sometimes that's not possible because you take it and like I... I remember a client I had years and years ago came to us. They were a forklift. um, They sold forklifts and a guy in the organization had built a, um, an app that ran their business. And over a course of 10 years, that bit of software had became the lifeblood of the business, the entire organization, you know, they kept adding features and enhancements Mm -hmm. and things like that. Right. And then, yeah. do you know what? That individual turned around and he just started commanding whatever pay rise he wanted because he was like, well, yeah. nobody else knows how to use this. You know, good luck if I leave. Like, And so they re- realized that now they were cap in hand, if you like, to this employee. Yeah. And that's where they'd called us in to go help. Pretty much can blackmailed. You- <laughs> yeah. Exactly, right? Can Can you, you know, recreate this at a reasonable cost that we no longer – are kind of like, you know, blackmailed, as you say, with to this employee. And so, yeah, these are not new problems, but I think that you'll find is that with that governance kit, you would never get yourself into that situation. Where do I go if I want to know more about this Center of Excellence starter so, kit? I mean, you know, if you go to Microsoft Docs, so docs.microsoft.com, and you go into the Power Platform, there's Power Platform Guidance, and under that is the, the Center of Excellence, the COE, and there's... There's a heap of resources there. Um, there's a real great video actually on on the starter cage there by Paul Clumsy, which really talks about that whole governance um, piece and why it's important, and how you know the the center of excellence around these kind of four areas: admin, governance, and nurture. You know, within the organization, um, it starts with an overview, of course, for those newcomers that really want to get their handle on it. But it goes into everything from you know, power virtual agents to power automate, power apps and power BI. And then, you know, really application lifecycle management and what role that plays within inside the organization. So you'll find a heap of resources there. And and the thing is, this is not a static area. It's constantly, Microsoft is constantly adding to it. 
Um, it's it's they are building new apps to to make it more you know usable for admins and organizations to really you know it comes down to one thing adoption of the power platform at the end of the day and and really making people's uh, lives simpler you know because when I look at power apps at the end of the day and so if I look at the power platform it allows people to focus on important things in their careers their businesses their jobs rather than the repetitive mundane, you know, that kind of data entry or that capturing or that inspection process or that, oh, we need to make sure that you've read these rules and check and we've got those details. You know, anything that, you know, in an organization that involves paper filling or forms base completion, I think there's an opportunity for organizations to adopt the power platform and, and realize the benefits. And of course, what you don't get in a paper-based process, of course, is then all the telemetry data as well, right? Which is which is pretty phenomenal when you can see trend patterns happening over time at different months of the year. This happens because your app is, you know, inherently picking up that information by its usage, et cetera, is, uh, you know, it allows companies to innovate a lot quicker um, in whatever area they specialize in. So, yeah, go to that website, as in Microsoft Docs is where everything kind of resides, um, there's a there's a heap of training resources and links to further um, uh, training uh, resources. You've got lots of options depending on the size of your organization, how you want to scale and adopt the technology. Um, and yeah, how you get your environment set up, how to get your data gateways and data integration in place, how to provide support and help and, you know, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. It's definitely not a one-off sitting that uh, to, to get across it all. And that means that, well, if you're using this and you have some feedback to Microsoft, mm -hmm. they're probably willing to listen to your feedback because, I mean, if you feel some pain with this, uh, you're probably not alone. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty of, right, of, of all these assets that are up there is at the bottom of the page, because it's built on um, GitHub, there's uh, the ability to submit feedback about this page or about this product. And that's on pretty much every page at the bottom. You'll see the feedback option. You can, as long as you're logged in there, you can easily provide that feedback. And I found the team very responsive. You know, they get notified if that's their ownership area and, um, uh, and get, get to fixing it, um, especially if they're getting a lot of feedback around that. Yeah, and I mean, customers are the expert of this adoption and center of excellence since they are the ones suffering from it, right? So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, whatever works for them, it's probably important for all of us. Yeah, so true, so true. All right, so do you have any public speaking, perhaps virtually nowadays, where we can find you? No, I don't do any public, well, I haven't. Have I done any public speaking this year? No, I don't. Um, no you know, Sierra on Saturday, no nothing no, like that. No, 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 no. So I've, I, I turned down all invites um, this year. And really, I was, you know, just freshly moved back to New Zealand at all. I had decided even before COVID happening that I was not going to um, publicly speak this year. I tell a lie. Do you know what I tell a lie? Because, because I realized that I was scheduled to speak in Barcelona this year. That was definitely book speaking engagement. I was speaking on two or three topics of that. When that got canceled as an, and rescheduled, I wasn't available on the rescheduled date. So 
wasn't involved with that. But yeah, I've I've done no public speaking this year. Now I do, I do do speaking per se, and that I run a ninety day mentoring challenge each year where, you know, uh, it's a free online. When I say online, I'm live. Like I, I run these one hour sessions across a ninety day period where. I lay out the options that people have in their careers around um, Microsoft business applications. So I ran that across January, February, March this year, and I'll do it again next year. So, uh, but I'm not actually signing up to any of the um, public events that uh, like the three, six, five Saturdays, as you say, or, or any, any of the others. And you know what? I've kind of like I've done it quite a bit in the past, and I'm just now in, in a at a time or a period that I've stopped um, doing it. Will I get back into it? Probably, maybe at some point, but just not now. Yeah, who would you like to recommend as a future guest for this podcast? On, um, I think uh, you know, if you wanted to drill into COE in a lot more detail, Manuela, which is you know, as I say, she used to work at. Virgin Atlantic uh, in the UK, and uh, she she now works very. She's part of the cat team. Works very closely on all these assets that have been produced. She would be fantastic um, to get on, especially you know. I think the last podcast, well, the last podcast I did with her, she was still working at um, Virgin Atlantic, and I think now she's been with Microsoft about a year and a half. So I think she would have a lot more insights into this whole digital culture that companies are now creating all right then so do you have any links to self-promotion or anything like that if you we just want to find you online um so you know everything i do is always posted uh on nz365guy.com my uh my website um if people are interested in the 90-day mentoring challenge that's nz365guy forward slash 90 as a nine zero day mc and that will take them or uh, nz365guy.com forward slash mentoring. That'll take them to a sign up page if they're interested in that next round. And um, yeah, anybody that can help in the space, I'm always open um, uh, to helping the community grow and particularly people grow their careers. Because I think, you know, biz apps provide so much opportunity for people to create amazing careers for themselves. I will be sure to add the base URL and the direct link to your 90 day mentoring challenge awesome. to the show notes. So everyone who's interested, just go there and you will find it. All right. Do you think that we missed anything here today, Mark? No, no I think it was a good day. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Remember, yeah, you're think- the, I think you're the longest standing podcaster out there, right? You started way before me and I've been doing this for three years. And uh, you're a lot of the inspiration for me getting into it. I've been doing it for seven years now. So, uh, well, I don't do them as often, though. So that's how I do it. Yeah, very good. uh, Thank you, Mark Smith, for your participation in CM Rocks. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. And don't forget, you can just comment. Just go to serumrocks.com. And if you want to subscribe, just search for it in your favorite podcasting app and you will find it right there. See you next time on CM Rocks.